This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You're listening to Surreal Talk, a look inside the world of cults, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Something's not right, man. Something's not right. Something's bullshit here, and I don't believe it. Honestly, this crazy shit could be completely possible. Uh, disclaimer, we reserve the right to be wrong, ladies and gentlemen. You think you know the whole story? Think again. Now your hosts, Eric and Everett. Uh, welcome to Surreal Talk, a look inside the world of cults, conspiracies, and the paranormal, lineupmedia.fm production, and we are back. We are back indeed. Friday, another show, another dollar. Friday the 13th. Wait, that's not Is true. It? I was going to say, it's not even close. It's, it's the 30th. 30th. Yeah. Anyway. Today, we are talking about, at the time, was the worst domestic terror attack in U.S. history, the Oklahoma City bombing in uh, 1995. Yeah. Where did yeah. that take place? At the Alfred P. Murrah Building. Do I need to joke. tell you it was, was like, in was, Oklahoma City? Yeah, that was the joke. You know, in the state of? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Sure, that's sure. right. That's right. Before we get into that, though, there was a suggestion on the Facebook group I wanted to talk about, something, I, something I'm going to do here next week. I think Tony mentioned it, too. What's that? I think. Never mind. Go ahead. What are you talking about? I was talking about the show docs being available. No, 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 no. Um, somebody suggested that we should do a live show of a browsing of the dark web. Yeah, I don't You shit on it. But I thought it'd be kind of cool to do, not as a podcast, because that would suck to listen to, right? But a YouTube video? No, no. Do a live Facebook stream on the on the group. And Take show it. what's on the screen? Yeah, just put my screen right out there. Let people request, let's go try to find a hitman. And I'll live try to find a hitman. I don't want no part of this. Why not? Why? You sissy. It's just... It's I'm just people it. that are way better at the internet than you. Oh yeah, the dark web is so scary. Me. I'm a pussy and don't I understand don't it. Know. I don't need no part of it, man. <laughs> well, we're doing that. So if anybody has a, a sack and wants to see me, apparently get into some spooky shit. I'll be doing that next week. I'll get a what little if more details. Stumble, stumble upon a child murder. Stumble like like the actual murder somehow taking yeah, yeah, place it's, digitally. It's live. It's oh, happening right that'd now. That'd be a bummer, dude. I'd try to like probably call the cops. Hey, here's what I found on the dark web. On Maybe. the dark, what the fuck is you doing there? Well, let me see your browsing history. Oh, well, hell, I use Tor, so I, I can't really show you where I'm at because it hides my IP and everything. So, yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Why do you need to do that? <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Ever. We ain't doing that. I'm doing that for sure, so. That's funny. Anyway, so we're talking about. Oh, and what I was talking about was um, Frank made a good point in the chat. Uh, someone asked if we had these show documents, like. The one for this week is eight pages about mm. the Oklahoma City. It's just stuff that... Yeah, Frank, I meant it, I said at the time. Sorry. We plan uh, to talk about this week. You know what I mean? And it's just it's just a bunch of different questions and talking points and, uh, you know, our research. Uh, show notes, basically. And somebody asked if those were available for anybody to look at and download. And I said, they're not. But we do have every single one on a Google Drive. So if anyone's interested, let us know. Yeah, Frank said put them out for Patreon. It's a thought. Yeah, maybe. So this week I don't we're know how that works. I'll figure it out. Just so. request it. Yeah. It would give you access to the, the folder, probably. Or something like that. The you Google Drive? I mean? No. The, yeah, but the not... not put it in Patreon as like a link to exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. You get thought. access to that folder. Well, we yeah. never put enough work into our Patreons. They're just awesome people who don't expect anything in return, and maybe we could give them something. I agree. It would be cool. But then we're going to do it, and then somebody's going to put it on the group, and then it won't even matter anymore. Oh, bootleg copies of the yeah, show Yeah, bootleg docs. of the docs. Damn. Yeah. That'd be great. Anyway, let's, shit anyway, we're running short on time today. We, we got, are. We got about an hour 
to get through the entirety of the Oklahoma City bombing. All so. right, so I'll start it out. So the Oklahoma City bombing occurred when a truck packed with explosives and... Uh, what happened? Did you lose your voice? I forgot who I am. What? No. Anyway, the Oklahoma City bombing occurred when a truck packed with explosives, and we'll go into what kind later, was detonated on April 19, 1995, outside the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. It left 168 people dead and hundreds more injured. Something to the tune like 600 people were injured or maimed, they called it. in the. And it was weird because right. the same word, maimed, was used in like 40 different articles and videos. Like that word, like couldn't say severely injured or it was maimed. They used maimed. I don't they know. They probably why, all took it from the same Associated sense. Press exactly. article. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Right. So like all of it come, all this information, a lot it's of pretty the information common. that's out there comes from. A single source. Yeah, Associated Press well, or Reuters or Scripps Howard. Why is that a problem? You That's got one person writing the story and then goes out on the wire service, which is how most of the news in the world gets out. Yeah, well, what about? I don't know. Okay. Anyway. Just saying. Um, yeah, so hundreds more injured. The blast was set off by an anti government militant, Timothy McVeigh, who in 2001 was executed for the crime. His co conspirator, Terry Nichols, was sentenced to life in prison until September 11, 2001. The Oklahoma City bombing was the worst terrorist attack as ever mentioned. On U.S. soil. Man, you got to turn your mic around because I can barely hear you. Can you, you see, really? No. Turn, see Hello? a little knob? Oh, the little oh, knob here on it? Me. I can't hear me at all. Hello? Hello? You can't hear yourself? I'm, dude, I'm dead front. Look. Dead front. No, you're not. It's on the side. The little the little knob there. Hello? Oh, oh yeah. Shit. There you are. Yeah, but look at how the mic is like that. It's yeah. fucked up. It's uh, that's Ouch. Yeah, imagine that, right? All right. Uh, yeah, so 168 <laughs> people dead. Uh, 20 of those are children, 19 were children. He parked this van, this rider van that he rented underneath, like directly underneath the daycare at the Oklahoma City Federal Building. Yeah, it's pretty shitty. He killed 19 kids instantly, from yeah. what I understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least it was instantly, and it wasn't, you know, like a painful, drawn-out process. At least they weren't. It probably was something that was Maimed. Painful. Maimed as you were, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, more than 650 people injured in the bombing. And this is a crazy number here, so... Damaged or destroyed over 300, 300 buildings, buildings yeah. in the immediate area. What the fuck? How about this? I believe the number was 39 people who were working in a uh, housing authority office about a block away were killed. Every one of them? Well, 39 people. I don't know if there was every person in that building, but 39 people a block away died. How? It was a big fucking bomb. It was like 7,000 pounds or something like that. Oh, yeah. It was like 6,600 pounds or yeah. something. Yeah. Jesus. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it was perpetrated by Timothy McVeigh, Terry Nichols, and Michael Fort- Fortier, I assume. It's not Fortier, I'm sure. Uh, so, at the time, Nichols was in a, the, uh, you know, right-wing militant. He was against any government and, you know, uh, interaction. You know, he didn't, it basically, he even said in, I guess it was the interview with 60 Minutes, that uh, this was a direct response to, like, the Ruby Ridge and Waco Oversteps by the government, you know, where they right. Both of them the, felt that the it was an affront to the Second Amendment rights, and it was just it's just more taking away the rights of private citizens. And they were they were big time believers in the the government should be afraid of the people, not the people afraid of the government. You know, the same the same type of stuff you hear a lot of our listeners listen to or say or you know subscribe to those type of things. And, and and that part of it is completely true. I mean, I, no, you I don't know, disagree with that. I'm not just at saying, all. He he his his profile again is not unlike that of a lot of our listeners. You know. Fed up with the government. I'm there. Thinks less government should be uh, agreed. You know, less government, the better. Um, Second Amendment proponents. Agreed. Gun owners and whatnot. Agreed. Way into conspiracy theories. Agreed. I mean, I'm Timothy McVeigh. You, you kind of are, except you, I don't think you would ever go crazy like that. And that's the weird thing about that guy too. I watched a lot of interviews with people that he was in the army with, and uh, you know, and knew him, and interviews with Timothy McVeigh himself. So the people that were in his unit painted him as somewhat of a 
out of nowhere angry guy. Like they'd be sitting in. Uh, of course they did. Well, again, it's true. They got to make their money and make their interviews. But the story the one guy told, they were driving along in uh, Iraq or some shit like that. And he would just out of nowhere be pissed off and screaming about something, like just ranting on something out of nowhere. Just just out of nowhere. Nothing apparently would set him off, which is kind of weird. And another story that the guy told was they were driving along in some sort of armored vehicle similar to a tank, but not quite a tank, like a big truck with a big-ass gun on it. Any which way, the, the guy told like the story. Like a Humvee? No, way bigger, like an like a big-ass six-wheel type of armored transport thing. Yeah. You know what I'm talking okay, about? Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Any which way, apparently McVeigh shot a shot over a thousand yards, hit an Iraqi soldier in the head, and popped his head complete apart. And he bragged about it for a long ass time, like as, more or less as a psychopath. You I, know mean, what I mean, that was a, probably a good shot, but I mean, yeah, sure. It was, it, me and, you and I were talking about that specific thing this morning in the movie. Uh, what was it? Where the guys uh, trained to train? Oh, Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher, yeah. So the they trained for years and years and years, shooting hundreds of rounds of shot or uh, sniper rifle fire a day. Go to country probably feel like you know they, they've trained forever and they want to get that itch scratched you know shoot somebody so a little context behind whatever we're talking about right now we had a conversation trying to relate timothy mcveigh's mindset to the sniper that was in jack reacher that he was trying to track jack reacher explained that this kid 20 something years old uh in iraq over there trained every day went to the range every day shot a quarter million rounds downrange for you know two years straight he had shot over a quarter million rounds sat in his perch every day waiting for his opportunity this is what he was trained for and then was shipped home and never got the opportunity to scratch that itch he never got to shoot well he did though he did well exactly well that's why he did it and so they were saying that you know uh i mean Everett and i were just talking about how like the psychology in timothy mcveigh's mind was probably a lot like that character in that movie Sure. You know sure. what I mean? So, But anyway, so a, a lot of people theorize that at the time, the American military was downsizing after the collapse of the Soviet Union, and, and that's why McVeigh shifted his ideology from a hatred of foreign communist governments to suspicion of the U.S. federal government. You know what I mean? So you didn't have commies to hate no more. USSR's yeah. fallen. So, I mean, what, you know. A little more background on Timothy McVeigh, too. He, he as a kid, idolized the movie Red Dawn. Did you ever see that? With yes, Patrick yes, Swayze. Yes. That was his that movie gave him a hard on, you know. What really? I'm I didn't know that he idolized Red oh, yeah. Dawn. He, loved it, he huh? Loved the idea of, you know, hiding out in the hills, guerrilla warfare against the Russians or whoever the enemy was. That was his thing. So just just carrying on a little bit more of the wow. psychology behind this guy. Okay, yeah. So um especially as its new leader, Bill Clinton, elected in ninety two, had successfully campaigned uh for the presidency on a platform of gun control. So that was something that he completely didn't agree with was, you know, this new president campaigning on the platform of gun control. So McVeigh and uh Terry Nichols and their met associates you know hang on, and their associates, which we don't know who they are. Yeah, they no, they didn't meet in boot camp. Yeah, they they met later than that. And because Nichols was ten there. years the elder of McVeigh. It doesn't matter. They still met in, in basic training. Yeah. So you're twenty eight and can go to basic training. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe I'm wrong then. Maybe you are. Uh so they were associates were deeply radicalized by such events as the August ninety two shootout at Ruby Ridge, Idaho, between federal agents and survivalist Randy Weaver at his rural cabin, and the Waco siege of April nineteen ninety three, in which seventy five members of the Branch Davidian religious sect died near Waco, Texas. We did a show on that. Fucking crazy. Yeah. That was nuts too. So uh so he planned the attack on the Murrah building, which housed regional offices of federal agencies such as the DEA, the Secret Service, the ATF, um, and the, which is the agency that had launched the initial raid on the Branch Davidian compound. So that was a lot of his uh, reasoning for doing this, was that the ATF, was the, were, they were the ones responsible. They were the government agency responsible for killing the, the 75 people in Waco, including ki- kids included, uh, for just practicing a religion. You know what I mean? And, and that's essentially what he thought that's of it. That's the way he felt about it. That's the way he felt about it. They're sure. just trying to do their own thing, man. They don't need the government in there helping them. And the government came in, 
uh, tried to break their shit up, get David Crash, and killed like 80 people. And he's he was pissed off about the Ruby Ridge thing too. And and like you said, didn't he say in the 60 Minutes interview that the Waco was like a direct reason? And and well, he did it two years to he, the day. After exactly, Waco, he so. planned it two years to the day after Waco as like a fucking fuck you. Here you go. You know what I mean? Sure. And and again, I'm shitty in my uh, not maybe not my research this time, but writing stuff down. He's he was quoted in saying that there was a few incidents after after the Oklahoma City bombing that the U.S. government actually changed the way they would handle a situation like this. I don't remember what the what the events were, but he felt that his actions in Oklahoma City had basically... Made them tighten their shit up. Yeah, pussified the government a little bit, you know what I mean? So to speak. What he did changed their way of acting, so... Well, I mean, yeah, rightfully so. He I, killed 600, or well, killed 190 people or something and injured 650 more. So, yeah, I think they should figure out a better way to deal with that. Yeah. But uh, so April 19th, 1995, the two-year anniversary of the disastrous end at the Waco siege, McVeigh parked a rider truck loaded with a diesel fuel fertilizer bomb. So for, Info. Let's, let's say for people who don't know what rider is, uh, if you don't live in America, U-Haul. rider. That we might not know what U-Haul is is a box truck. That's a fair point. <laughs> it's a the truck he used was probably about fifteen foot long. It's like a standard moving truck or yeah. anything like that. You would just load up big open space in the back, and he packs it with sixty six hundred pounds or so of uh, ammonium nitrate fertilizer, fuel diesel oil. fuel, fuel oil, it, yeah. right? Anfo is ammonium nitrate and fuel oil, right? Yeah. So, uh, in December two thousand, McVeigh asked. Oh wait, hang on, check that out. At the mirror revealing fled. Oh, yeah, so this is the part that fucks me up. He got caught 90 minutes after the bomb exploded. Driving down the highway. Uh, yeah, okay. That that one's, that one just is crazy to me. So to end the whole deal, in December 2000, McVeigh asks a federal judge to stop all appeals of his convictions and set a date for his execution. He's ready to die. Well, okay, yeah, he, he had originally lost his court case. Yes. They had started appeals, mm-hmm. and eventually he just said, fuck it. Stop all appeals, set my execution date, and they did. Yeah, so at 33, he died by lethal injection at the U.S. Penitentiary in Terre Haute, Indiana, and was the first federal prisoner to be put to death since, since the 60s, right? 63. 63. So that's that's crazy. Yeah, that's what uh, yeah, all other 30, ones were state. almost 40 years a federal prisoner had not been put to death. Well, hell, well, I guess Saddam was technically a federal prisoner, right? We put him to death, but that was we 2000. We didn't put him to death. Yeah, we, did we hang him? Did. I'm pretty sure the Iraqis hung him. Oh, I thought we did. Uh-huh. Oh. We didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, point. no. America doesn't have the. We installed uh, the Iraqi government. <coughs> we picked these leaders. <coughs> yeah, Iraq hung Saddam, and uh, anyway, that was pretty crazy. Yeah. So the request was granted, and he died. Uh, Ninety-five. The the Murrah Building was demolished for safety reasons, and the Oklahoma City National Mu- Memorial Museum was later opened at the site. So now onto the good stuff, the conspiracy. So you know the, the facts. You know the you know the facts. This is what happened. That's not all did the it. facts. No, I mean, but you get to the more of the facts than when I discuss the conspiracies here. All right. So one theory contains. I just, can I interject one more time? Sorry. Of course. As always, especially on this one, get out there and watch some of the videos and stuff that out there that exists, and read some of the articles. There's a lot more going on. The I watched zero today. videos on this. I read all articles. So zero videos. I tried to watch a lot of interviews and stuff from the time and. And here's another little interesting fact. You know, there's no video of the bombing, of the bomb blowing. I could find no video of it actually blowing. Well, yeah, it was. I mean, it, it makes sense. 1995. Yeah, but, there's not like a lot of cell phone cameras out there. And you people, figure maybe. You never know. There was nothing. Anyway. Yeah. God, did the whole fucking side that building look terrible, didn't it? Yeah. I wonder how tall that was. I should have got the, the he blew dimensions. Nine stories of it off. Hold on. Let me he see blew the entire there. north face of the building off. You know what his one regret was? He was quoted as saying uh, for that day. What? Is he didn't bring the whole building down. Jesus Christ. Fucking psycho. <laughs> yeah. All right, so 
the conspiracies here, I got a few of them to run through. The one theory contends that there was a cover-up of the existence of additional explosives planted within the Murrah building. The theory focuses on the local news channels reporting the existence of a second and third bomb within the first few hours of the explosions. So local news is reporting, you know, right after it happens, oh, there's second and third bombs in the building, you know, so they yeah, report Yeah, I saw all that too, yeah. And, uh, they said they actually found them, not that they, you know, they went off. They said they found the bombs, is what the news was reporting, if I'm not mistaken. So nearby seismographs recorded two tremors from the bombing, believing it to indicate two bombs had been used. Hmm. Experts dispute this, stating that the first tremor was a result of the bomb. I was say the, the second, way the stage is working, the way that bomb blew is probably They say the that. second was the collapse of the building. Oh, that could be two. Yeah. Uh, so cons- conspiracy theorists, I don't like that word, but say that there are several discrepancies, such as proposed inconsistencies between the... What other would you call a person who... Free thinker, theorizes about conspiracies. Free thinker, bud. Oh, my bad, sorry. Yeah. Right. Such as a proposed inconsistency between the observed destruction and the bomb used by McVeigh. Physicist Samuel T. Cohen, known as the primary inventor of the neutron bomb, stated in a letter to an Oklahoma politician that he did not believe a fertilizer bomb was capable of causing the destruction at the federal building. Simply... Air Force Brigadier, uh, Brigadier, I'm sorry, General Benton K. Parton expressed an opinion that there must have been additional explosive charges inside the Mira building. So here you go. You have a guy that the primary inventor of the neutron bomb stated in a letter to an Oklahoma politician that he doesn't think that that would have caused that damage. Well, I want to throw something a little out here. You've been in the neutron bomb. I wonder how much of an expert in ballistics he was and engineering. He's a physicist. If he was telling me how much of a yield it might have, you know what I mean? If you blow up a certain type of bomb, I I could believe him. But oh, I, so you don't put no stock in this? You don't think that part's? I'm just saying this okay. is one of those. This okay. this screams to me like how the news finds the closest expert they can find okay. and get a get an opinion. Yeah, right. Like Eric, you're there. What do you think about this conspiracy? Ooh, I'm no expert. Well, this don't guy is ask an me expert. So it's like having Michio Kaku on to talk about something close to fucking string theory. You know what I mean? He's like, oh, I'm going to tell you a colorful way about it, but I'm not actually an expert. He's giving you the Bill Nye the Science Guy version of the events. I like Bill Nye. Well, even so do he's I. But really you get my point. You can't completely take complete. No, I'm not yeah. saying that. I'm just saying that there, there's that. As out, a free there's thinker, that, there's that, that out there. Don't you know? You can't exclude the fact that the guy that invented the fucking neutron bomb said that that's not going to that didn't do that. Yeah. Anyway, so in 1997, the United States Inspector. General Agency reviewed the Justice Department and FBI crime lab based on allegations of chemist Frederick Whitehurst that the lab was poorly managed and operated. Among other findings, as summarized by CNN, the review determined that the FBI investigation into the Oklahoma City bombing was sloppy and partisan rather than scientifically objective. The FBI lab relied on scientifically unsound conclusions that were biased in favor of the prosecution and supervisors approved lab reports that they cannot support, and then the FBI officials have erred about the size of the Murrah building blast, the amount of explosives involved in the, and the type of explosive used in the building. And additionally, the FBI examiners could not identify the triggering device for the truck bomber, how it was detonated, and the evidence did not hmm. support the theory that ammonium nitrate fertilizer was the primary explosive. So, like I was telling you at lunch, in the car... They didn't investigate certain avenues because it would open up doors for the defense. True. You know what I mean? So they right. didn't want to ruin their case. So this wasn't a fully thought out investigation. Well, that not a fully realized investigation. Uh, well, a fully investigated investigation. It wasn't a full proper investigation is what I'm saying. So okay. what do you, I mean, what do you think about that? There, there were theories and even experts saying that 
uh, the ammonium nitrate fertilizer could not have been the primary expos- explosive used because it didn't trigger the bl- enough of a blast, and they could not You're find. You're asking the- me. What I think. Of, yeah. What do you is think? The experts you th- right that it was ammonium nitrate. I'm not? saying. What do you think about the experts saying that and that they couldn't find the triggering device for the bomb, and they have no idea how it was detonated? Well, I look at it like this: one group of experts says it couldn't have been. One group of experts says it absolutely was. Who am I supposed to believe? The ones that go against the main story just because they go against the main story? Let me tell you. Let me let me fuck you up with some truth here. Hit me. Fuck me up. So neither Timothy McVeigh or Terry Nichols had any bomb-building experience. They had rudimentary explosive experience from their time in the Army, but they were not bomb defusers. They were not bomb builders. They didn't even fuck with bombs. Okay, okay, so you know what I'm saying. So how did they build this six thousand pound? You know bomb they had more so help. sophisticated. Well, okay, there we go. Okay, okay, and that's not, and I don't find it too hard to believe that they could have figured it out. You ever heard of the Anarchist Cookbook? Motherfucker, you gonna try? You gonna try to figure out a six thousand six hundred pound bomb that's gonna do that sort of damage? You just they tried, tried smaller versions on a of whim. It. They made, made smaller versions of it. You know it's what? Not like it was a whim. It was a nine month fucking planning operation. I don't know how to make a bomb, but I'm gonna say fuck because it. you're an idiot. I'm gonna go ahead and go all out. And make a bomb that can blow up an entire fucking building with no sense of, uh, maybe this could hurt me. That doesn't make fucking sense, man. He actually had part of his plan that if his fuses didn't work, he was going to take his forty-five out. He had, a, like, basically some fucking dynamite he was going to shoot to jumpstart it if his fuses didn't work. Killing himself. I mean, he was into it. He was ready to kill himself to blow it up by hand by shooting it, basically, to make it go. Fuck Do your son. research. Shut your mouth. I didn't watch videos on YouTube. You're the one to tell me YouTube sucks, right? Well, they didn't have a lot of time. Uh-huh. I, I pi- pi- piled in 20 hours of research and three hours of video. <laughs> so another one of the theories is that the U.S. federal government uh, had some sort of involvement, if not a lot of involvement, in the whole ordeal. And so uh, it alleged that President Bill Clinton had either known about the bombing in advance or had approved the bombing. Now that's a little out there. But we're going to go with it. George Bush did 9-11. It's also believed that the bombing was done by the government to frame the militia movement or enact anti-terrorism legislation. That I could buy. While using McVeigh as a scapegoat. That I could buy because he had been like going. Oh, shit. Hold on. I got to find my phone. It's going off. This is embarrassing. But he had been going around the region, actually around the country, visiting militias with Terry Nichols. And he never joined any of them because all these people who were running these militias, these paramilitary groups, he wasn't impressed with. He had been in the army. Had well, at least went to the first day or two of special forces training before he washed out. Yeah, he got washed out of special forces. Training. He was sick. Did you know that his legs were like injured and he couldn't make the run? That's well, he took the dis- or the honorable discharge well, that was because of that. No, well, that wasn't because of it because he did that months later. He went. He uh, they choose you, tell you when to come do your your train or your uh, special forces. Yeah, yeah. And he was injured at the time, more or less, and wasn't able to do it. He had to send in his resignation letter for that and went back to his normal post. It was months later that he had actually resigned from the army and took, you know, his what was discharge. the reason for his official resignation? Because a lot of the articles reported that he resigned because he wasn't able to make it into the special forces. After he didn't make it, he got really disillusioned. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, there you go. So, so yeah. Anyway, so uh, in 1993, uh, in a letter to his sister, published by the New York Times in 98, McVeigh claimed that during his time at Fort Bragg, he and nine others were recruited into a secret black ops team that smuggled drugs into the United States to fund covert activities and were to work hand in hand with civilian police agencies to quiet anyone who was deemed a security risk. So he wrote his sister a letter, which the New York Times published, saying, hey, me and my buddies, we got recruited into like fucking black ops shit you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. legit you know there's no record of this happening uh to silence dissenters about about different things you know what i mean that's that to me is crazy but he wrote this letter yeah but i mean i know plenty of people who make up fucking weird posts and post them on facebook you know what i'm saying about shit they do or see so again 
the guy could have been a little bit of paranoid schizophrenic or not maybe not schizophrenic but paranoid for sure and sent his sister and you know what he believed to be more okay or less. okay so you think it could have been his own delusions well check maybe this not out. a delusion Hang but on. just making shit up to get you know people right attention right. so in a 2001 declaration by terry nichols mcveigh's convicted co-conspirator uh, under paragraph 10, which initially involved visiting gun shows and making contact with loose network of anti-government and far-right sympathizers. This undercover FB, uh, activity allegedly escalated to armed robberies and a planned bombing under the direction of FBI agent Larry Potts. So his co-conspirator Terry Nichols is also saying that we did shit for the FBI undercover okay. with a bomb plot. You know what I mean? So it's not just McVeigh here saying that they had contact with government agencies and were contracted to do some fucking government shit. Nichols is saying it too. Saying, well, you know, we did, we did this, we did that. So uh, here's a, a thing from filmmaker Bill I'm going to have to look into that. I really, I, I'm okay. not saying you're wrong. I okay. just, that's, that's very interesting to me. I want to I yeah, read that's, about that. that. Totally true. Filmmaker Bill Bean believes he filmed and briefly spoke to McVeigh on August 3rd, 1993 while doing, loca- while doing location scouting at Camp Grafton in North Dakota. This event occurred over a year after McVeigh resigned from the Army, and Bean believes that he has proof that McVeigh was still in the military after his supposed resignation. Yeah, you see that a lot, too, well, Bean at notes, least in movies. <laughs> Bean notes that the United States military and FBI have denied that McVeigh was the man Bean filmed at Camp Grafton, but also states that Professor Michael Blomgren, a speech pathologist at the University of Utah, did a voice forensic test of the Camp Grafton subject in comparison to McVeigh's 60-minute interview and determined the match to be 86% between the two voices. So, pretty good. I mean, not, not you know, foolproof, but pretty right, good. Right, so that, so that, I mean, there's that. Did you know Timothy McVeigh was at Waco? He was protesting outside of Waco? Was he? Yeah, the, there's video of him outside with a sign protesting. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. That's, that's fucking interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so that was another one that the U.S. Uh, government was involved, and there was a, there's a lot to like uh, look at in there, you know, between his his declaration and Terry Nichols's declaration of what they say they were doing uh, for the government. You know, obviously the government's denying any of these claims. Fuck no, you know we ain't we didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So another one, another crazy part about it was like the investigations, and that's what I was saying earlier. So in 2006, United States Congressman Dana Rohrabacher said that the Subcommittee on Oversight and Investigations of the United States House Committee on International Relations, which he chaired, would investigate whether the Oklahoma City bombers had assistance from foreign sources. On December 28, 2006, when asked about the fueling conspiracy theories uh, with his questions and criticism, Rohrbacher told CNN, there's nothing wrong with adding to a conspiracy theory when there might be a conspiracy. He's not wrong. In fact, among other unresolved questions, Rohrabacher also criticized the FBI for not explaining how Nichols, who did not work steadily, paid for his several trips to the Philippines and had $20,000 cash for not finding explosives concealed in Nichols' house until a decade after the bombing. Yeah, he had a crawl space, apparently, and uh, they got got an anonymous tip to go check the house, and they found more explosives down there. Huh. A decade later. I wonder who gave him the tip. I, don't know. I wonder if they were actually his explosives and he put them there, like, or maybe somebody planted them, put the tip in, and then boom, more explosives from Terry Nichols. So, you know, people give him shit for not, uh, they rush to rule out the existence of John Doe number two. So they wanted to immediately make it like this. Well, they that. make it, the, the story is that, that uh, McVeigh rented the Ryder uh, truck with another individual. I'll get there. Okay, cool. I, cool. Got, I got all those inconsistencies down here, too. You so. know, you signed his own real name when you picked that up, like an idiot. Did he really? When he went to sign, that's what, the, like, I, I watched an interview with the lady who ran the writer shop, 
And she said that he was kind of nervous, and, you know, that happens a lot whenever somebody's, you know, using a fake name. They'll accidentally, you know, they just by habit sign their real name. Wow. So Yeah, that's crazy. So they were mad because they ruled out the existence of John Doe Number 2 and for not thoroughly investigating possible connections between McVeigh and the Aryan Republic Army and Andreas Strassmeyer. So I don't know who that is. In March 2007, Danny Colson, who served as deputy assistant director of the FBI at the time of the tax, voiced his concerns and called for a reopening of this investigation. This is the deputy assistant director of the FBI called for a reopening of the investigation. So September 28, 2009, Jesse Trintadu, a Salt Lake City attorney, released security tapes that he obtained from the FBI through the Freedom of Information Act that shows the Murrah building before and after the blast from four security cameras. So this is alluding to what you said earlier. The tapes are blank at points before 9.02, which is the time of the detonation. And uh, Trintadu said that the government's explanation for the missing footage is that the tape was being replaced at the time. That's fucking weird. That's actually makes me Four CCTV cameras pointed at this building caught before and after, but not the incident because they was changing the tapes. That's really weird. Well, that, that explains why there was nothing. That's what I was saying, too. 1995, yeah, you think there was something. That's what I said. Yeah, hang on. So, yeah. Weird. That's that's crazy to me, man. Hmm. Uh, Inconsistencies abound. Well, what else you got? So, uh, Trintadu became interested. Now, this is the guy that requested the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, in the case when his brother, Kenneth Michael Trintadu, died in federal custody during what Trintadu believes was an interrogation because because Kenneth was mistaken for a possible conspirator in the Oklahoma City bombing. So they picked this guy's brother up, thought he was a conspirator conspirator in this bombing, and he died in custody. So that caused... They tortured him, I bet you. Oh, of course. So that caused this guy, a Salt Lake City attorney, to get a Freedom of Information Act from them and and for the government footage of those CCT cameras, and there's nothing there. Mm. So he he was personally invested in the case because they thought his brother was one of the co-conspirators. So he, like, you know... I'm going to dig deep into the this shit. What the fuck you guys do to my brother? Yeah, he got an thing. FOA, a Freedom they of Information. They killed you, dude. I don't think I dig. Really? I'd be like, this motherfucker's probably into something. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, there's just so much, like, and, and I know I'm going fast, guys, and there's a lot to take in all here. Sorry, uh, but I've got to continue to go fast to hit everything that I want to hit by the time we have to hit it. So, in November 2014, John Schindler, a former professor at the Naval War College and National Security Agency Intelligence Officer, wrote, It would be good if a serious relook at the Oklahoma City bombs. Many unanswered questions were established for the event because of the state that that when he participated in a re-exam... No, wait, I'm sorry. Because of the existence of important evidence indicating that there's something we should be talking about, he stated that when he participated in a re-examination by the United States intelligence community after the September 11th attacks of possible foreign involvement with recent terrorist attacks, he found, as Rohrbacher's investigation did a few years later, that the FBI and the Department of Justice had no interest in anyone peeking into this case, which they were... like his opinion, though, man. Well, right, which they considered closed, indeed tightly shut. Even in top-secret channels and other avenues were blocked. So this guy's got sources. He can reach out and figure shit out, okay? Sure. All his channels were like, no, not happening. Done. Don't, don't, nope. Stop looking. It's done. You can't get any information about this, so... You know, uh, let me hang on. Let me find where I was at. It's like right. a bad movie. You know what I mean? Right. I know. It's, it's a fucking Grisham bad novel. movie. Right. While cautioning that someone that the bombing has attracted more than its share of charlatans and self-styled experts. <laughs> Guilty. And some of who, which are eager to pin the bombing on Arabs, Mason, Jews, and perhaps space aliens even. Schindler urged a, a resumption of Rohrbacher's investigation and incited two ish- issues as notable. 
McVeigh and Nichols' visit to the Philippines was notable and the activities of a German national and a friend of McVeigh. And that, that those two things were never, ever looked into or talked about in, inside of this investigation. They didn't have to to paint the picture they needed. Exactly. And that right. the picture that they needed, that's important because to do a proper investigation, you got to – all avenues that open up, you have to investigate. And they didn't do that. So uh, another one, another big conspiracy about it that was that McVeigh was under some sort of uh, mind control, like CIA, like MK Ultra, and that he was uh, you know duped into doing this basically. So it wasn't just that McVeigh had spent time in the United States uh, military. <clears throat> His apparent crazy claims of being microchipped and mind controlled made collective fears prick up a little in the conspiracy communities. He claims he, to be microchipped and all that? He did. Uh, the afore- he, he doesn't claim that now. Well, no, probably not. Right. The aforementioned Ted Gunderson certainly looked, took notice of McVeigh's words because Gunderson already suspected, suspected that a high-level military bomb had been used rather than a crude homemade contraption. This was purely speculation on the part of conspiracy theorists. If Gunderson was correct and McVeigh had received high-level military training, then his bizarre statements might prove to be more than the mad ravings of a lunatic. They might be something worth looking into, no matter how chilling the notion might be that people under the control of certain agencies within the U.S. government. So somebody's saying that if he did have that level of experience he was talking about, then maybe he wasn't fucking rambling. And then if that's the case, then maybe he did have enough experience to build that bomb. Maybe. So I mean, you can't have one without the other. No, you're right. I agree. So, no, I'm just saying, I'm just pointing out inconsistencies no, no, I, in the entire right deal you. here. Right you know what I mean? I'm not going to say what I think happened or didn't happen. What do you I'm think just, happened? I don't know. In what seems to be standard practice of intelligence agencies, all CCTV footage of the events of that morning were confiscated and instantly made the property of the United States government. Adding fuel to this fire, many suspect that the vast majority of the footage has since vanished. But we know from that attorney in Arizona's Freedom of Information Act, the footage is still there. It's just not complete. There's no footage of the bomb detonating. There's footage like two minutes before and then two minutes after, but there's a gap where they were changing the tapes exactly when the bomb blew up. That's irritating. That's, that's fucking irritating, right? That's the yeah. same thing with the Pentagon with me with 9-11. The most goddamn secure building on the fucking continent. And you got CT, CCTV cameras all over the top of the Literally fucking Literally every building, inch. Everywhere. Tracking every To see cockroach. everything. Yeah. And we get five still frames. Yeah, blurry ones too. Oh, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, the footage has since been vanished. Many people believe that there was substantial evidence contained within the tapes. However, without access to the tapes, and any such claims always fall short of being completely convincing. We have already mentioned the presence of the responders. There is reason to believe that the CCTV tape... Oh, yeah, so this is something that I didn't put in here because there wasn't a lot on it. But there was upwards of 20 eyewitnesses saying that they had... There were already first responders on the scene before the bomb blew. They, they were like 20 ambulance, truck... Uh, uh, you know, like look like SWAT team people. Just there were people fucking everywhere that shouldn't have been there. First responders before the bomb blew. Twenty witness. I don't you think accounts. they would have been killed too. Probably if that was the case. What's the good of having them right there at ground zero before it goes off? What's the good of having them there? Oh, I don't know. I don't, they, they well, right. in the area doesn't mean standing out the front door. But again, people thirty a block away, thirty nine people died in an office building. So, uh, well, well, I'm just tired. Hey. I, I hear you. I'm just throwing because. For all the inconsistencies they're pointing out, you know, with the official story, I got to point out some yo weird shit I see with their unofficial inconsistencies. All right, so I agree. I hear you. There's inconsistencies in that too. But so here, here's a list of things that we do not know, and it's not. I'm going to talk about each one. The exact origin of the plot. So we don't know where it came from, despite the government's insistence. But what about that book? The uh, hold on. The fuck. What's it called? Um, I got it right here. Right here. What's the book called? God damn it. 
Oh, the Turner Diaries. It was a, a vaguely white supremacist book. That the start of that book started out more or less exactly the same way the Oklahoma City bombing went down. Car bomb takes out a fucking uh, government building. Okay. And he had that book with him, or pages from it at least. He was a big fan of it when he was a kid. He, he found that book in high school, loved it. Okay. So it's kind of weird that that book starts with the exact same type of. Okay, so if the government set this up, you don't think they put that book in there for evidence? Is all I'm saying. So you can't. I'm just saying. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that it's very like the plot. You know what I mean? That's a possibility. That like, fuck, this guy's loved this book since he was a kid. You know what I mean? They had the exact same type of thing going on. Uh, paramilitary. Actions. So you mean he wanted to blow a building up from a kid? He just needed a fucking reason. Possibly. Okay. So. Or at least took some inspiration from it. Okay. So despite the government's insistence that, insistence that the case had been solved, we don't know the exact origin of the plot or how many people even carried it out. The federal indictment against McVeigh and Nichols, the latter fronted the money and, and the other did most of the bomb's construction for McVeigh, made specific mentions of others unknown. When their trials were almost over, the presiding judge, this is the judge that fucking convicted him, publicly urged the FBI and other law enforcement agencies to keep investigating. His plea fell on deaf ears because they did not. But this, the judge is sitting here going, there's shit we don't know here. You got it. You know right. what I mean? So, but based on what they, they presented him as how he had to make his ruling. So it's good enough for the prosecution. It has to be good enough for the judge. Exactly. I mean, that's their job. If it's a case good enough that they can prosecute, we think we have the evidence. We'll take it before the judge. So here's, and this next one uh, of something that we don't know was really interesting to me. Where'd they learn to build the bomb of that size and power? So we don't know how McVeigh and Nichols learned to build a fertilizer bomb of such size and power. Neither received more than the small training with explosives when they served together in the Army. And their earliest experience with smaller devices were haphazard at best. Okay, I read that same quote. But then I, I read some stuff that McVeigh had said about the way he had placed this stuff in the back of the truck. Not like a fucking idiot. He placed the, the initial barrels in a reverse J pattern at an angle across the back of the truck. For the specific reasons of the load of a 7,000-pound bomb, you can't just have off to one side, like if you want to get it close to the building as possible, because you run the risk of having the thing list to one side, busting a fucking axle when any, you're driving. That's, any idiot truck driver knows that. You well, can't put your load to one side. You can't you can't chalk enough. that up to bomb-making skills. Well, fair enough. It, it chalks it up to not being a complete fucking idiot whenever you're going to put a bomb in a building. Just saying that. Uh, it also chalks it up if you're hauling something in the bed of your fucking truck, you don't put everything on one side. You can't attribute bomb-making skills to knowing how to load a truck. All right, I'll give you that. Okay, so what they did not know was how they built it uh, rudimentary at best. FBI, FBI agent Ted Gunderson, which is the guy I mentioned earlier, conducted an independent investigation. He believed and publicly stated that there was ample evidence of advanced bomb-making skills in the Oklahoma City tragedy. To him, all the indications were of a barometric bomb, a.k.a. an electro-hydrodynamic gaseous fuel device. You want to look that up and find out what that is, a barometric bomb? Oh, a barometric. What is it? A barometric bomb. It's an electro-hydrodynamic gaseous fuel device. All right, hold on here. More on barrack weapon. Um, Bar parametric bomb. Okay. YouTube. Oh, this is a video. Sorry. I'll just shut up until I have a real answer instead of a. All right. So, more ominously, construction of such a device required advanced bomb making knowledge and access to specific materials. Gunderson also highlighted how traces of PT or PETN were found on McVeigh's clothing on the. McVeigh's clothing on the day of his arrest. According to Gunderson, this substance is one of the primary material materials for a barometric bomb. So he had barometric bomb dust essentially on him at the at the day of his arrest after the shit exploded. Okay, he didn't he didn't have fuel oil and ammonium nitrate. 
he had the shit on him that would be used to make a barometric bomb. That to make this type of bomb, you have to have advanced bomb building skills. You know what I mean? You you type in barometric bomb into Google, most of this shit comes up as about Oklahoma City. Really? Okay, so type in electro-hydrodynamic gaseous fuel device. Electro-hydrodynamic gaseous fuel device. Gaseous fuel device. Okay, cool. Did that. Um, again, these are all related to Oklahoma okay, City. Okay, so even how the building crumpled, Gunderson continued, suggested that at least some of the explosions had occurred inside the building. In short, McVeigh appeared to be an Oswald-type figure who was conf- who was there to conveniently take the blame. In fact, many researchers who subscribe to these theories highlight McVeigh's time in the military. So, yeah, I don't think he built that bomb. I don't think the bomb was what it was. You got a bomb expert telling you it wasn't what it was, and his clothes had bomb residue from a different type of bomb that could have caused that sort of damage. Not the bomb that he built that couldn't have, according to a different bomb expert saying that this, the guy that built the neutron bomb said, yeah, that's not going to do it. So another bomb expert comes in and say, yeah, that, that's not going to do it, but this kind would do it. And he had that shit on him. All over his clothes. Hmm. I'm just saying. Okay. Good for thought. You know. Quite interesting. All right. So who was with McVeigh the morning of the bombing? That's, that's what you were talking about earlier. So No, that's not what I was talking about earlier, but that's another good question. What I was talking about earlier is the days before or a week before whenever you actually rented the truck. Oh yeah, but I've got people, that. eyewitnesses, I've got that they, they saw him that morning yeah, so, with you know with another person. Yeah, so. uh, they were unanimous. unanimous. Yeah, like yeah. twenty some people yeah. telling the FBI that he was with somebody else that they couldn't. It wasn't Nichols. <clears throat> you know what I mean? So there's two different riders' trucks. There is no ready explanation for a different rider truck seen by witnesses at McVeigh's motel in Kansas and at the state park where the bomb was assembled in the week leading up to the bombing. I the only thing I can think of there is people were mistaken. No explanation for other people seen inside McVeigh's motel room during the same period. No satisfactory explanation of the fact that two people were seen renting the bomb truck on the 17th of April, neither of them fitting McVeigh's description. Two different trucks. So why didn't they question the white right-wing radicals was another thing that I was wondering, and uh, I looked into that, and it didn't says... Didn't need to. Huh? Didn't need to. Why not? What if that, what if that was who masterminded it and put Timothy McVeigh, set him on his course? Well, I'm going from a conspiratorial nature here, just saying they didn't actually need to talk to those guys to get the the, the answer they wanted. Okay, so it if, was it was clean enough with Timothy McVeigh and Terry uh, McNichols or Nichols or whatever the fuck his name, Terry Nichols. Yeah, it was clean enough. And if you want to take it a step further and think that the government was actually in on it, there was probably likely you know a behind closed doors or a phone call. Hey, we'll fucking worry about that. You want to look at this? Uh. Oh, yeah, that was a cool... So Jordan Heiser in the chat, this was a cool fun fact I saw, too. He was incarcerated as the same cell block as the Unabomber, um, Felipe Luis de Kingblood, and Ramsey Yusuf, the World Trade Center bomber of 93. So it was like a who's who of bombers in a row of cells in uh, Terre Haute. And they said that he had looked at the World Trade Center bombing also and said he could improve on that. Because if you notice, the World Trade Center bombing in 93, which is the Yusef guy, he had parked, what, a van... A rented van in, in the, the building, in the yeah. basement, yeah. and blew it at up. That's what happened. So McVeigh, McVeigh did the same thing, but he was quoted saying he could improve on that. And then, so yeah, he actually got to meet Why that guy. Why is it guy. hard for you to think that he could have studied, like, in his off time, finding any kind of military, like, from uh, Army surplus stories, you can get military manuals. Who's to say he couldn't have taught himself through reading enough to make a bomb that could do this? Again, I don't you know, say, man. There's the... There's the, the the people were saying that their early attempts at making bombs were rudimentary at best and haphazard and whatnot. Yeah. I, I think that he was smart enough that he could have made a big-ass bomb out of... Type in what was his IQ. What? Okay, I will. What was... Probably not going to get an accurate estimate on this, Timothy but... Timothy McVeigh's 
You know how to spell IQ? Yeah. Okay. MR. Assessed at 126. So not quite genius, but pretty fucking smart. That ain't genius. Get genius the fuck out of here. I took like bullshit because I've taken like six right, of them and got 131. Yeah, well, the ones on the internet suck. I would like to take a real one then. Uh, this doesn't say anything. I'd be pissed. Gifted is one thirty plus. Men, any Mensa requires one thirty. Highly gifted is one forty. So, yeah, one twenty six puts you right above the International High IQ Society membership, which is one twenty four. What do you think yours is? I don't know. Did you do bullshit internet ones? Yeah. What'd you get? Usually over one forty. I got one thirty one. Yeah. I don't. I put no stock in these things because I was able to like figure out like. I spent some time studying how these tests work and the type of questions they ask you, and I got good at answering those type of questions. You know, figuring out the patterns they give you and right. that type of shit. So I don't take much stock in them. I'm good at taking tests. Yeah, a lot of it is like A, B, C, D. So it'd be like a triangle, yeah, and multiple two choice. triangles, and then three triangles, and then it's like, what comes next? After, you know, in this pattern. I would love to and take you an have actual, to pick the next one officially, like, uh, administered IQ test. Was but, it Mensa? Well, Mensa, they do their own. But I think you actually have to come in with your IQ test already done. Oh, really? I don't know. Fuck Mensa. There's a bunch of self-important pricks. We're so smart. Let's hang out. <laughs> so here's another thing. Uh, incomplete investigation, so the prosecution would win. The Justice Department felt pressure to win what was turning into a frustratingly circumstantial case, especially against McVeigh. Prosecutors knew McVeigh was guilty and were pretty sure it was his idea to park the truck bomb directly underneath the daycare center at the, at the federal building. Their challenge, though, was to prove prove it without raising significant questions about others that they could not catch or whose involvement they could not demonstrate beyond a reasonable doubt. So that's exactly what I'm saying. If they would have investigated these other avenues, it would, have car, opened up, it would have opened up uh, spots for the defense. I don't think anybody in the world would disagree that something of this level could use more investigation. And even, if they, even if they were relatively sure they had most of the facts, most people are like, yeah, you could probably find more about it. And it doesn't surprise me at all that there's probably a lot more that we don't know. What else you got on this thing? Though? What, what more conspiracies could you possibly have? Uh, hang on. Talk for a second. I can find something better here. What we got here. Oh, talk until he finds something better right here. I'm horrible with this stalling thing. Yeah, you are. You're fucking done. Get off the show. See you guys later. Oh, okay, so hang on. Um, the official narrative <laughs> and leave this up. So a month into the investigation, the desire to keep looking for other suspects and sniff around other places starting giving away to a contrary impulse not to overcomplicate the story or give ammunition to the defense at trial. Even the government find, uh, struggled to find conclusive evidence that McVeigh had been at key locations in the bomb plot or had been there with nobody but Nichols. His role was expanded in the official narrative from leading suspect to solo mastermind. Well... Yeah, a lot of that is is based on the fact that he would not allow his defense to use or to say that he was a patsy of any sort, that anybody else had anything, any more of an important planning role than he had. So he wanted to be known as the one who did it. This is a quote from Scott Mendeloff. This is the prosecutor, the lead prosecutor against McVeigh. If you convicted McVeigh but did not get the death penalty, that would not be okay, said Scott Mendelhoff, one of the McVeigh prosecutors. We could not lose this. It was like a pressure cooker for us. We did not lose. Well, it's similar to how Nichols, like originally they got him on some uh, involuntary man or manslaughter charges and whatnot. The first time they put him, uh, and then they appealed and hit him for 161 counts of first degree murder or something along that line. Yeah. 120 something counts of first degree murder. So I, I guess that's kind of what he's getting at. Kind of like how Nichols didn't get, he was convicted, but you know, 
I don't think Nichols got the death penalty. So the one thing the prosecutors stripped away at trial was the vital context of the radical anti-government movement, which in the early 1990s was in ferment over what it saw as a crypto-fascist government tactics at Waco and and Ruby Ridge, in which government sharpshooter killed the wife of uh, Randy uh, Marsh. Randy Weaver. (laughs) Yeah. Dude, Ruby Ridge is some fucked up shit, too. You know those guys at Ruby Ridge walked away with, like, really no charges other than the initial gun charges and whatnot? Like, uh, there was that shootout at the beginning of Ruby Ridge where they, uh, the sheriff They killed deputy, his son. Well, they killed his kid, his 14-year-old kid, and a deputy had died. So after the whole thing, they turned themselves in at the end of it and peacefully went away. They were charged with the murder of that guy, and they were acquitted. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't murder him. I bet that was friendly fire. Well, it wasn't. It could have been. Who knows if they would have shot him or not, but the, I guess the circumstances surrounding the shootout were not enough to warrant a murder. Well, same same deal if a police they, they officer... They went for first-degree murder and couldn't get it, so that they fucked up. Maybe if they would have went for manslaughter or something along that lines, they might have got well, it. Well, there's a case where like a police officer kicked in a guy's door and he was supposed to be at the next house for a drug dealer, and the guy shot the cop and killed him. They charged him for murder, went to trial, got completely acquitted because this cop was at the wrong house, kicked his door in, didn't identify himself, and got his fucking ass shot. I mean... So maybe that's what happened there. I don't know. I don't remember Ruby someone, Ridge. I was young. So in 19- we should do a Ruby Ridge show. We should. You're right, because we've done the Waco one. That's what's Why like. not do something similar where we do all the ones where the government oversteps their bounds? Oh, yeah. You know, kidding. like uh, that big stand, like any of the standoffs, really, because it's usually the government, like, stepping in where people are trying to assert their rights, and they've barricaded themselves in. Waco, Ruby Ridge, um, hell, even that one up there in Dakotas where they had that uh, water in the pipeline and all that. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, we're retarded. Don't worry about that. Anyway. It's not important. It's not important. No, it's it's like four letters, and I can't remember the fuck it was. The standoff. The uh, fucking pipeline. Yeah, uh, Oklahoma, North, Oklahoma. No, it's not. God North damn Dakota. it. North Dakota, yeah. North the standoff. Dakota. I don't remember what the fuck it was called either. Dakota Access. Yeah, Dakota Access Pipeline, DAPL. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I'm about to tell you why they stripped away the vital context of the, ra- uh, the radical anti-government movement. Right here is why this is important. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. So in 1992, a propagandist named Lewis Beam, described by a senior ATF investigator as the most dangerous man in America, gave a speech to fellow radicals calling for a thousand points of resistance. It was time, he said, to fertilize the tree of liberty with blood of both patriot and tyrant. A line almost identical to the slogan McVeigh had on his T-shirt at the time he was arrested. This is a Thomas Jefferson line, isn't it? Something like that. Is it? I I think so. This is where Armand would come in handy there. I think that's a Thomas Jefferson line. Um, Beam advocated for the formation of small secretive cells that would carry out attacks at the direction. Where the fuck is Armand when we need? (laughs) But without the specific (laughs) knowledge of the movement leadership. In 1994, Beam told a career criminal named Roy Bird, who later told the FBI that something big would happen in Oklahoma City, Denver, or Dallas on the 19th of April, 1995. So this is a radical extremist. Right-wing anti-government extremist that has is saying something big is going to happen here. Now this just so happens to be the sect that was he was communicating with. Anyway, um, second anniversary of the fire. They've got some kid who's going to do something big, is what he told him. The government never interviewed Beam to find out more. So you know they shoulda, woulda, coulda. Either way. So the original plan, according to several sources, including an FBI informant, had been to blow up not the Murrah building, but the federal courthouse next door. The two buildings shared an underground garage and McVeigh's crew was supposed to plant the bomb there, much crew. as Ramsey Yosef had planted the fertilizer bomb beneath the World Trade Center in New York two years earlier, an attack McVeigh had studied and vowed to improve upon. The rider truck was first seen downtown around 8.50, 50 minutes before McVeigh later claimed to have arrived, but could not get into the garage because the truck was too tall. So you, you, oh, we planned this out with fucking extreme precision. 
but he oversighted the fact that the underground where he was trying to go. See, the, the under the daycare I was a secondary yeah. spot. Yeah. That was like, oh, fuck, I got to do something. No what am I going to do? Though. No, yeah, it was it was literally in the parking garage where the daycare was right under, right over the top of it. I need a diagram. Anyway, uh, it was not the federal courthouse. And McVeigh's crew was supposed to plant the bomb there. Uh, the rider truck was first seen downtown but could not get in the garage. A clamorous miscalculation confirmed by The Guardian by both senior government sources and members of the radical far right. There followed a nerve-wracking hour in which people and vehicles associated with the rider truck were spotted several times around downtown and adjoining neighborhoods. So this fucker drove around for the next 35 minutes, 40 minutes, trying to find a spot. Well, he actually, he he did it well well before he had, what they had actually planned. He decided to do it early. That morning he woke up, he's like, fuck it, I'm doing it early. So I'm getting to that. So plan B apparently was to park the truck in an alley between the federal courthouse and the old post office building, a site of Oklahoma's main bankruptcy court. But the truck had to back out of the alley, alley said multiple sources, because a U.S. Marshal Service truck was already dropping off a prisoner in that alley. So he pulled in there for his plan B. Because his plan A was to go underneath between the two buildings in the in the in the underneath you know like the the uh, basement entrance like he did in the New York Trade Center or the Trade Center bombing in '93. Mm-hmm. Plan B was to pull up on the in between the federal building and the post office, but there was already somebody dropping off a prisoner at the courthouse. So, I gotta drop something to chat real quick. This I just found a fucking cool ass map of all the destruction. Okay, so parking. The bomb in the handicapped spot directly below the daycare center was plan C, and as far as anyone could tell, McVeigh's ideal alone. If, as seems likely, McVeigh was left suddenly alone at this point, the 18-year-old Mercury Marquis may have been the only car available to him to get away. Everything about it, including the missing license plates and the propaganda materials left on the front passenger seat, suggest it was meant to be kept close to the bomb site to provide a signature for the attack. It became a getaway car only as a desperation measure. Okay, so, he didn't park it under anything like that. He parked it on the sidewalk out in front of the building. Let me see. It's just a diagram. We, you're not going to be able to see yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. There. I can't see shit. It shows when he lit the five-minute fuse, the two-minute fuse, and where he parked and walked off. Why was there two separate fuses? In every every account I've read, that's just the way he did it. I don't know the significance of why I have a five and then a two. Because if the two doesn't go, the five will? Or something like that, probably, yeah. Huh. I mean, that's kind of smart. And then again, his third. Something only a bomb maker would really know how to do, I think. Well, and then his, his third part of the plan was, you know, he had his forty-five on his side to shoot, like, a, a box of fucking dynamite to make it go if those two things didn't work. So he was one that fucker to go. Springfield Armory, 1911, oh, 45 okay. ACP, bud. Anyway, uh, were there two other similar? It was don't... a 45, so. Huh? It was a 45, so who knows? It might have been a 1911. Could have been. Okay, so where were the other people seen with McVeigh? Although the members of McVeigh's, of McVeigh's subculture have certainly pointed fingers at the residents of Elohim City, uh, at a chemist living in the Arizona desert who McVeigh tried to recruit, and at a white supremacist punk rocker, rocker turned bank robber named Kevin McCarthy, who lied to the FBI twice about his whereabouts on the day in question, and whose information was not shared with the bombing task force because he was being relied upon as a government witness in a robbery case. So that's interesting. He had contact with McVeigh. Well, there's a, there's a lot of people I read that the government found that were involved with this and got full fucking agreements to walk on this. Like, one of the guys that helped him make the bomb, like, uh, his wife who made the fake ID he used to rent the truck, she got a complete Pardon? immunity. Well, really? Immunity for his, for his, uh, his assistant, she got immunity. So there's a lot of shit like that going on, people that were involved. Not just Nichols and McVeigh. There are other people they know about that are involved who walked because they talked. Hmm. So look into that, too. A lot of people walked. 
That's just crazy to me. Well, they had to get the big fish. You know what I mean? That's the deal. They needed the the headlines and all that. Right, right. So we also don't know the identities of the original John Doe's one and two. The people who rented the bomb truck under the alias in Junction City, Kansas. I find that to be bullshit because I watched the interview with the lady who worked at that writer factory or writer place. She can point out and say for a fact that it was Timothy McVeigh there that day and that he, in fact, signed his name Timothy McVeigh when he presented a fake ID. And she had a whole story about that she had seen shit like that somewhere before. So I, I find that kind of weird. So he didn't try to rent the bomb truck under an alias and then spelled his name no, on, and then put his name? He did van? try to okay, put it as so an alias. so then I'm right. John Doe 1 and 2 were the people who were with him at the time he was oh, okay, there. okay, 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 okay. You know what I mean? I'm mistaken. I thought you were saying there was, there was John Doe 1 and 2 who did it all and he wasn't. No, 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 no. Oh, my bad, John my Doe bad. 1 and 2 are the people that were I'm with him when I'm he bitch. rented this Sorry. truck. Sorry, Yeah, so yo, he, he definitely tried Shut to rent the, the truck up. under Shut an alias in Junction City, as you said earlier. But they don't know who was with him, and they can't identify that. So especially, you're going to go rent a rider truck, even if it's just your buddy. If I'm going with my buddy and we're riding around, he's like, shit, i got to rent a rider truck. What the fuck you got going on? Hmm. You know, so the guy that was with him probably knew what the hell was going on. Um, sketches were circulated widely. The FBI could never convincingly show how McVeigh got the rental shop himself. Wait, show how McVeigh got to the rental shop himself from a McDonald's where he was captured on surveillance tapes shortly before the time of the stamp on the rental agreement. So they don't know how he got from a McDonald's that, where he was on surveillance tape at a McDonald's to the place to rent the rider truck. How did he get there? They don't know. So there was a car there. I mean, a car, a cab, a bus. Obviously, he could have cabbed, could have bus. They don't know that, but there would have been somebody there. But what they're Maybe. thinking is it was John Doe 2's car that took him to the place to rent the truck. Sure. Um, yeah, so it's possible whoever did rent the truck played no further part in the conspiracy, whoever drove him to rent the truck. We do know that the government showed little interest in answering these questions once the case against McVeigh and Nichols was set. The Clinton administration wanted convictions and closure. The FBI director, Louis Free, was engaged in a war of attrition against many of his own senior investigators over personality clashes. Some of the FBI's best and brightest were either distracted or prevented from doing what jobs should have been, what should have been the crowning job of their career. That's interesting. I, I read something, too, about during that. Of all the multi-jurisdictional, you know, stuff that was going on, people were supposed to be cooperating. They were, they were arguing with each other. Right, they weren't cooperating. Not cooperating. So the ATF and FBI mostly were, were at like not at each other's throats, but they weren't sharing information. They weren't just some crazy they weren't, shit. So a joint task force is supposed to be like you know, ten everybody. Dudes, they ten sit down dudes at the from same the FBI, right. ten dudes from the ATF. They come in. There's 20 people here. We're a task force. We're going to tackle a specific fucking issue or person or whatever as a joint task force. Well, apparently, they couldn't work together right. They weren't sharing information with each other. You know, they were misleading the other agency involved in it. It was just so, like, there's a lot of bullshit around the entire investigations because the investigation was being done by people that didn't even like each other and didn't want to share information. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. I feel like it's tainted. Yeah, people were wanting their their slice of the fame for this, and you know what I mean? There's so much involved in this type of case, and it was just shitballed, if that's a word, shitballed. Shitballed, huh? Calling it shitballed. All right, well, what else you got? Is there anything else that we want to go over today? No, I'd but say we pretty well sped I, through the facts, got the important shit out, but what I want to say is get out there and watch these videos or read these things. This, the Oklahoma City bombing is way more interesting than I thought than just some asshole driving a truck up and blowing a building It's up. essentially a 9-11. It essentially is a 9-11. Because 9/11. of all the inconsistencies and discrepancies and bullshit facts that were put together by a, a, a set government story that you can prove is not fucking true at all. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I just feel like it was... And even mention it a lot of the time. Like, this was the biggest thing before 9-11. Maybe it was fucking modeled after the Oklahoma City bombing. If someone was truly behind it, maybe they looked at it like this. Like, this is, boom, here, you know? I don't know. Maybe. It was, it's fucking crazy to me, though. I don't know. Well, good show today, man. 
I think so too, man. But I just it, it's it's just that one fucks me up. The Oklahoma City bombing to me is like. What the fuck? There had to have been something wrong awry there. I don't know what it was, but everything that like senior FBI officials, bomb experts, different people, uh, the bro- the attorney whose brother was killed being this interrogated is right up, this, for this. This is a perfect episode for us to have done. I'm surprised we haven't got to it before because there's I didn't know I didn't know it was like the this. amount of the amount exactly the amount of inconsistencies and conspiracy possibilities are great. This is yeah. right up there with JFK in my opinion. You know the the amount of shit like the way the everything around it was just fucked. Yeah, it, it's insane to me, dude. It's insane. Like I said, I didn't know that the that the Oklahoma City bombing was like this. I didn't know that it was this. Uh, I'd have been into this shit years ago, man. <laughs> indeed, indeed. All right, uh, well, uh, we are basically out of time for today. I want to thank everybody for joining in. We will catch you next week for another exciting episode of Surreal Talk. Probably not exciting. What we got we some have? cool stuff coming up, though. We had, uh, we had something picked out, I thought, for next yeah, week. Yeah, our brains are fried, though. Yeah, I don't fuck, know. We'll, I we'll announce it in the group later tonight or tomorrow or next week or say it next week right before we start the show one or the other i don't know um everybody in chat thanks for coming out today I want to thank all the members of the group all of our patreon supporters if you want to be a patreon supporter go to patreon.com slash surreal talk it's basically just a voluntary subscription service i won't spend any more time talking about it than that if you want to help us out cool if not cool too yeah we're uh, gonna make them either way so we're check gonna make out that yo it's a great online streaming service right now we've got a lot of great um, music stations up we've got a station i'm working on it should be coming up hopefully right after the beginning of the year. It's going to be all conspiracy all the time. Other than that, we's out. You got anything, Eric? No, man, I'm good. All right, thanks for joining us today, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Please wake up. This has been Surreal Talk, a lineupmedia.fm production. Listen online at surrealtalkpodcast.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. How come I know so much? What the hell is going on around here? Who the hell are you people? Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter and get all of our podcasts now at lineupmedia.fm. I'm mad as hell! I'm not going to take it anymore! I'm not going to take it anymore! This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.